We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we are here for our final Camp Battle Spotlight preview, looking at the defensive end group. You know, Chris, I feel like this practice has been fun. It's actually gotten me through this. You know, I was thinking about it on the drive over here. This is going to be the most challenging, though. Well, agreed, but let's just take a second. You know, before we close the book on this, since it's this, this is a new thing, you know, we've never really taken this approach. Because we've had so many holes in previous years. Well, I guess that's the thing. And I, because I'm always looking at, I hate stagnation. I hate stagnation. And I hate this idea that just because you've always done something a certain way means you have to do it that way all the time. I just, I don't believe in that. And so when I, I mean, except for Moosehead. We've always done Moosehead, and Moosehead it forever shall be. Wow, we didn't remember they didn't yeah. have the Labatt Blue Light Royales. They weren't, yeah, the Labatt Blue Royales. Those were good. That was like uh, it was like Bud Light Platinum for people. It was like Bud Light Platinum for people who had jobs, and it, <laughs> and then we switched to Moosehead, but we never looked back. But we switched. Why? Because they don't make it anymore. True. Also, because change is synonymous with death. Stagnation is synonymous with death. If you don't change, you might as well just, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't like it. So normally, we would, have had, we would have put you guys through show after show after show where we talk about position groups from top to bottom and try to analyze everyone. But I feel like we've done that. In, we've kind of already done that here. And yet we've taken a different approach into looking at it by looking at some of the one-on-one competitions that we'd like to see rather than just trying to break down a group as a whole. And it's been refreshing. I feel good about this. You know, I'm driving over here to do these shows. I feel energized to do them because it's a different approach from anything we've ever done before. It's been a lot of fun, and I can't wait. If this just now, before training camp even gets up off the ground, is how energizing 
making different types of content or changing our approach is, then man, 2021 is going to be one hell of a season. I'm already excited for it. So we dig into what is the final Camp Battle spotlight of ours, looking at the defensive end position. Now, the Bills' front seven in 2020 was a pretty disappointing group by and large. And I think a lot of that depends on what your expectations were for the money that the Bills spent in free agency on the defensive line at the beginning of the season. And Lord knows cover one's Greg Thompson was there. And considering that this was his hot take before the season started right after free agency. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be in the top five in the NFL in sacks without any one player being in the top 30 in sacks. Wow. Okay. Book I think they're going to have six players with eight sacks. That kind of setup. Where they're going to be in that group where they get 55 sacks on the year but don't have anyone with more than 10, more with double figures. I think it's going to be that kind of year with a group mentality, maybe a few more blitzes from Tremaine some of the fun stuff coming off the corner every once in a while, and then just consistent rotation with everybody getting snaps, and there won't be one guy to point to of who had the great season, but you'll step back at the end and be like, holy crap, we were fourth in the NFL in sacks. It's Greg Thompson from our podcast almost a year ago. Chris, I wish before we started recording I'd had you load up the Price is Right loser horn because like there's nothing more depressing than hearing that, and then like I'm looking at it right now. Our sack numbers, team leader, five sacks. And it wasn't even one of the defensive linemen. (laughs) It was AJ AJ Klein. Mario Addison tied him with five sacks. And no one else even sniffed that. That is depressing. (sighs) They they were expected to be this deep and dynamic group that was going to allow our secondary and our linebacker core to feast on people. And instead, our secondary and linebacker core had to consistently bail our defensive line out. It was bad. It, it was not good. They, they did not control the line of scrimmage in the majority of games that we played. I mean, th- there, there were games. Don't get me wrong. There were games where they had fantastic games. And there was games where you saw fantastic individual efforts or portions of games. I mean, I look at Jerry Hughes against Seattle, for instance. That interception that Russ Wilson throws in the end zone is because of Jerry Hughes and his ability to shadow to shadow uh, Russell Wilson as he's trying to scramble around and make a play, but he knows how to stay disciplined and not over-pursue. Uh, we, we win a playoff game against the Ravens because Trent Murphy understands how to play how to play uh, Lamar Jackson. Hey, don't over-pursue, be disciplined. You know, break down, you, you can pressure him, but also make sure that he knows you're containing him, not just that you're going to attack him and then potentially whiff, leading to a giant play. They did well in spots, but on the whole, it was brutal. I think a brutal disappointment if you went into it with anything close to what Greg's expectation was. I mean, I think that we were a little more tempered, but not by much. I mean, we assumed that they would be a good defensive line. Yeah, we did, we did have a lot of turnover there going into last year, and then I think with COVID and, pre- and limitations on OTAs and everything kind of hampered their ability to get chemistry with each other. Now, fast forward a calendar year. We're in the same place. We're leading into training camp here in just a matter of days. 
in the run up to the draft, we looked at this position group and talked defensive end prospects with YouTuber and cocktail connoisseur Brett Coleman from the film room. Uh, and during that conversation, I pointed out that our defensive end room at the time was this nightmarish combination of being both old and expensive. And as 2020 illustrated, they were also a product of diminishing returns. So no one should be shocked to see that the Bills sank significant pieces of draft capital into adding youth and hopefully long-term upside to the position. This is the second time they've done it in the last two years, underscoring that the future of our defensive end group might very likely be happening in front of us as we speak. And in that way, there's a battle at hand because the youth movement we forecasted, it's here. And these ripples, they're going to turn into waves once training camp starts, once the pads come on. And not everybody in this group is going to be able to keep their heads above water. That's the reality. Some of the people who started games for the Buffalo Bills last year at defensive end will not be here in 2021. So let's take a look at the challengers here for the defensive end positions. I'm going to truncate this. Uh, but I think you're going to understand what I'm doing. It starts with Jerry Hughes. Claims to fame, the most durable Buffalo Bill of my lifetime. 128 games on the Bills roster, 127 games in uniform on Sunday. For a team that, Chris, that alone, for a team that has as many, has historically had as many injury problems as the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Thad Lewis started a game at quarterback for us. Remember that. Thad Lewis. Didn't he win? He did win! Twice over Miami, hysterically. Which we were actually busting uh, Elf Artiaga from three yards per carry. I was breaking his balls about that on Twitter like a week or so ago. But one of the most durable players to ever put the uniform on. What, that's 99% of the games that he could have played he's been available for? Yeah, I'll take that. He's still, even at 33 and change, making splash plays. Yeah, the strip set fumble touchdown against Denver. The I guess they're ruling in an interception, but it's a, a takeaway in the New, the New York Jets game just to bring an end to that wonky, shitty game. But he's clearly aging as evidenced by him posting the highest missed tackle percentage of his career in 2020. When you look at his unique traits, he's not the most dynamic pass rusher, but he consistently finishes in the top 10 for pass rush win rate. So that's one of those analytics versus box score things. What would you rather have? He's effective at both, uh, against both the run and the pass. He's capable of dropping into coverage and playing effectively at the line of scrimmage. He can do both. And he still hates Doug Marone. At least I hope. <laughs> at least I hope he does. Mario Addison, the other old man here. His claims to fame are that he comes to Buffalo in 2020 off back-to-back-to-back nine-sack seasons. He can line up with his hand in the dirt or play as a stand-up outside linebacker type edge player. He's the oldest member of our defensive front seven who posted half the pressures and half the sacks from either of his previous seasons, which I think underscores that he might be he potentially aging right in front of our eyes. And he isn't big enough or sudden enough to win consistently against interior offensive linemen. You know, they, they did a good job last year, I think, of keeping him out of out of the quagmire of what is the interior offensive line, knowing that he kind of struggles with that. A guy who doesn't is F.A. Obata. Now, his claims to fame, he's a British player akin to Christian Wade, who came through in this foreign transfer program. 
Except unlike Christian Wade, he's found his way on the football field, and he's coming off a career high in sacks with five and a half, pressures, 21, which was 11 more than Mario Addison, and tackles for loss. And for being a backup rotational player, he doesn't have a whole lot of special teams experience. His unique traits, he's just a big player at 6'6", 265. He sets the edge for us to run very, very well because he's got long arms. He doesn't pass rush particularly well against offensive tackles, and a lot of that's technique-related. But when you line him up on the inside against guards and centers, he's too big and too fast off the snap for the interior offensive lineman to control him consistently. Sounds kind of familiar to someone that we were talking about post-draft. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that they drafted Rousseau when you see that they signed F.A. Obata a month and change prior in free agency. Then you've got Daryl Johnson. One of his claims to fame is that he has my favorite nickname we've ever given to a player, the Pterodactyl. He's been active for every game but one in his two-year Bills career. Despite playing more than 20% of the defensive snaps at 225, he posted just three tackles for loss, five quarterback pressures, and one sack in 2020. That means he had a quote-unquote disruptive play. You know, Chris, when I broke down my free agency database and all the edge rushers, and you try to look at how often they're actually making a play that's noteworthy, whether it's a pressure, a sack, a tackle for loss, just 3% of his total snaps he made an actual impact on. He's got some unique traits. Again, he's another big defensive end at 6'6", 253. One of the biggest wingspans anybody's ever seen, which allows him to set the edge and keep offensive linemen off of him. But he's got work to do on his technique on what to do after he ties an offensive lineman up. And when he allows offensive linemen to get into his body, he's really he, he really, really struggles to disengage from that. And then there's Mike Love. The claim to fame I have for Mike Love, uh, undrafted free agent out of USF. He's been active for a few games, but he hasn't made the final 53 roster yet during his time with Buffalo, which is four years now. His agent once reached out to us to see if we'd have him on the show, which I think was a cool experience to be approached with, and it was a great conversation. And one of the one of the best parts of our conversation with Mike Love didn't even happen on air when we were recording. Um, we had stopped recording, and I was trying to explain to him because, you know, we, we were talking. We were like, look, you know, you're coming back off an injury. You've been kind of this under-the-radar player every summer, just mixing it up, trying to find your way on the roster. And you managed to stick around the stick around football. And it hasn't, and you know, he, he's like, yeah, it's just not happening yet. But, you know, I just keep grinding and keep grinding. And I told him the story about James Harrison, you know, star linebacker for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, James Harrison, and how... Most of his early career, nobody even knew who the hell he was. He got shipped over to play in NFL Europe. He was a nobody. He was cut by the Steelers. <laughs> the Steelers cut him. And they brought him back. And then on a lark, he gets an opportunity because the guy ahead of him on the death chart, one year that he happens to just be hanging around, a Wally Pip situation. And he later, you know, midway through his career, goes on to make a name for himself as a supremely impactful player. He just stuck around and kept fighting and kept fighting. And he, after that conversation, you know, he, he texted me after we were done talking because you know, we had his phone number. That's how we got a hold of him. And he was just like, you know, I really appreciated that. Like, I, 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 need, I needed to hear that. I want to pull for this guy. I really do. 
I, do you want to pull front? I mean, I think that's the Buffalo in us. I think I actually talked about that during our show with the uh, what the offensive guards. That undrafted free agents, guys like that, we have a soft spot as Buffalonians for them because we're all kind of underdogs. And so we look at other underdogs and we go, you know what? If that guy can succeed, so can I. We see a little bit of ourselves in them. And in that way, I want to pull for this guy. Ultimately, he's a jack of all trades, but he's really not a master of anything specific. He's not a special athlete in any regard. But you could do a lot worse than having a Mike Love. So when you look at the landscape and what I think are some underrated dynamics of this defensive end competition coming up, it's not your typical competition as we laid out in other shows. Now, as I said at the top of this one, the Bills have invested significantly at the defensive end position over the last two years. The second round pick in 2019, pick number 54, A.J. Epinesa. The first round pick in 2020, pick number 30 in Greg Rousseau. Second round pick, pick number 61, defensive end Carlos Basham. And they reach a very different style of defensive end when you look at them as athletes, which underscores that they're trying to build a multifaceted defensive end room that's young. But Epinesa, he left college with a skill set and a physical profile that made him seem like a less athletic Cam Hayward. Now he's playing more like Jerry Hughes. Filling lanes at the line of scrimmage and setting edges, but also dropping into coverage at the linebacker level and out into the flats. They've, they've pared him down and changed his game. It's almost like they're trying to groom him to be an eventual replacement for that type of defensive end. Then you've got Greg Roussel. High upside athlete, kind of in the mold of an F.A. Obata. He's going to need time to learn how to beat NFL offensive tackles consistently. But he's got an elite first step, size and length and power that just make him a mismatch for interior offensive linemen, and he's a high-motor player. So he's going to get things like coverage sacks. He's gonna, you're hoping that you can generate some of what he did when he was at his peak in college, when he was putting up 15.5 stacks. And then Carlos Basham who I could sit here and give you my synopsis, but as Chris alluded to back during our wide receiver battle preview, this season I just, I looked at players, I looked at players I liked, and there was that's usually what we do. We get an analyst on for draft prep, we take a position group, and we talk to them about the makeup of that class, and then I cherry-pick a couple players that I just really have a cry. I, I like this guy out of this class, and I'm not even really sure why. I watched enough college football that his name stuck out to me, something about the style of play that he has I like, and I want to know more about him. And so this is Brett Coleman talking about Carlos Basham. I mean, he would be the natural QGF replacement, where it's like a guy who could play outside, rush inside as well. Because Jefferson, he could do it all. You know, he's he's your classic either base end or three technique. They used him more inside in Buffalo. Seattle kind of moved him all over the place when he was there. Uh, Boogie, I think, compares favorably to him as an athlete. Really, really quick for his size. Again, I think you could play him like you can almost rotate with him with Epinesa where he plays base end uh, for Epinesa when Epinesa is getting a blow, but then in nickel packages, you put Boogie inside Epinesa on the outside. Uh, Cause Boogie, I think is too quick for a lot of guards to handle. And we saw that at the senior bowl where, I mean, these, these arm over moves, people were just catching air against him. I don't know if he quite has the explosiveness to consistently win as a full-time edge rusher, but I think again, on early downs, he could play outside and then rush inside on passing downs. Brett Coleman from draft season on our show. It's the other player that Drew was 
They can't all be, They can't all be losers, Chris. They can't all be losers. Now we got to see if he can actually perform because we know what my track record is on picking draft. Oh. <laughs> yes, on my draft acumen in that regard. He's probably going to lose some weight, kind of like Epinesa did, to reach his full potential as a defensive end. But I like the fact that you've got three young players with different differing skill sets, but rotationally you can make them work. Now, I've said it before, but it bears repeating. One of the worst parts of the Bills' defensive line over the last few years is that there was zero versatility there or any ability for them to get exotic with any of the ways they create pressure. I remember going on, you know, Ken McCusick from the Ravens Film Study is nice enough to come do our show every year. I go do, we do like a home and home, and I go talk to his listeners about schematically who the Bills are, because that's what their show is. Their show is less, I don't know, it's less drinking and hanging out. It's more, let's have a serious conversation about the schematics of your football team. And in the run-up to 2019's contest against the Ravens, Ken asked me the question, what kind of exotic uh, blitz packages do the Bills have? Like, what do they put together when they're trying to, you know, change up a pass rush look? I told him, Ken, I, there, I, I got nothing. There, there isn't one <laughs> because we don't have the horses for that. Lorenzo Alexander will come in as a Sam linebacker to the line and rush off the edge. That's what I got for exotic. Now you look at this, you see what they're building. They just drafted a pair of young defensive ends that excel at applying pressure on the interior of the offensive line. To pair with former first-rounder and Ed Oliver, and a, a wild card in terms of having an ability to pass rush or drop into coverage in A.J. Epinesa. With that in mind, all three of those players that I just talked about are going to make the roster. There's no debate. All three of those rookies are going to be on the roster in 2021. So at that point, you look around the roster and see exactly what else this team needs and how many spots it's going to take to get there. It's rare to see a defensive end in McDermott's defensive system play more than 65% of our snaps. He loves to rotate ends and tackles. And when you go back to 2017, McDermott has only on one occasion carried five defensive ends, and that only lasted for a few weeks. They had Nate Orchard on the team. Who? What? Yeah. I've never heard of that guy. Yeah, nobody has. <laughs> nobody has. But he was here. I think he was here, they had to put him on the roster, and then they moved him to the practice squad. Okay, I think that that's how that went. But because we drafted this many of them, you can make the case that the team... You could make a case for the team carrying two extra defensive ends and having a fifth defensive end here in 2020, though. If not, if you're only going to roll four like they traditionally have, that's a lot of pressure to put on rookies. What's one thing Sean McDermott hates? Giving rookies early snap counts. Now, they've played defensive ends on special teams, but if you look at the numbers and pedigree of the players they've added is linebacker depth, you could see them potentially shifting some of those special teams' responsibilities to that position group rather than having a defensive end play special team snaps. So that means two job up for grabs, five contenders. So now that we've established that, there's some dynamics that pretty quickly pare down this list of contenders for me. Mike Love, for all the things that he is, he's failed to make the roster out of camp every year that he's been here. And that was when there wasn't a trio of highly drafted rookies ahead of him. I like the guy, pull for him every year, but if, we're, if you and I were going to put a Seagrams on it, I'm not going to... I'm not going to expend any more of what little road my liver might have left on it by taking that bet. Daryl Johnson, 
50% of special team snaps and making an imp- making an impactful play on just 3% of your snaps, that's not the way you beat people out for a job in the NFL, is it? 3%? No. He made some great coverage plays in special teams. I mean, one of my recent pastimes is I get, if I've had more than three or four beers, NFL Network is in love with Bills like Bills games. They've been re-airing a number of them on NFL Network randomly throughout the course of a given week. I mean, I've recently rewatched the the San Francisco game. The I mean, I have the Game Pass. I could watch these things anytime. But when you've had four or five beers, and now you're channel surfing, and you stumble across Bills Steelers on Sunday Night Football. I, I'll watch that. But what else am I going to watch? Uh, Seinfeld reruns. Those are good. TV Land. No. No, no, there's nothing else out there. So this is what I'm watching. And <laughs> I got to say, Daryl Johnson did make, you know, in that, in that Pittsburgh game alone, he had like three really nice special teams tackles. But is that enough to keep you in a job at defensive end in a crowded room? Especially with all the experienced linebackers the team currently has at their disposal. The types of guys who have change of direction and lateral agility that the pterodactyl just doesn't have. I think those special team snaps on the 2021 Bills would dry up for him as well. And then the question is, do you want Daryl Williams as part of your, uh, Daryl Johnson as part of your rotation at a position that really underperformed last year? When you've got guys with more upside ahead of him, I just don't see it. Yeah, the... The Bills are in that weird spot where you've got Hughes and Addison who are effective yet old, and then you have Epineza, Basham, and Rousseau who are new, and McDermott's generally not going to give them early snaps. So it's almost like you want to have the, I don't know, a, a good combination of quality and quantity to rotate everybody almost equally. For sure. I think, and I think ultimately the biggest hurdle for these two guys is going to be where they take their snaps and where their opportunities come from during training camp in order for them to even showcase they can make impact plays. I mean, Bassam and Rousseau may not be handed starters reps because the only thing McDermott loves more than clapping is slow playing rookies into the lineup. But they're going to be in the mix because if they're going to learn how to play against starters, then they're going to have to see starters in practice. If the team is going to know, hey, these guys are slash aren't ready, I'm going to have to see them against at least second unit guys and probably mixing in with the first unit. That means that as they're floating between the first and second team reps, Love and the Pterodactyl are probably rotating down at the bottom with the third and fourth string. Well, F.A. Obata mixes in with the second team because he's got more production than either one of them at an NFL level. And then as special teamers, the team has more agile and positionally multifaceted options for either one of these defensive ends. There just isn't a need for him anymore. I just don't see either of these guys, barring injury, illness, or a Taken-style kidnapping, having any kind of road to the final roster when the dust settles. And that's not me trashing them as players, just acknowledging the facelift that this group has seen in the past two drafts. I'd argue that if you sent... There are probably a lot of teams that you could send both of these players to, and they would go in there and have a better shot at making those rosters than what's on the Bills right now because the Bills made a focus of changing the defensive end room. Then there's F.A. Obata. 
a product of the NFL's foreign player transfer program, fresh off a five-sack season despite never really being afforded starting snaps, who comes here to try to continue his NFL growth. There's two dynamics with Obata that make me want to temper my expectations for him in terms of his landing a roster spot. And unfortunately for him, neither one of them have anything to do with his own physical abilities. The team took their sweet-ass time in inking him to a contract. NFL free agency started back on the 11th. I know everyone goes, ah, it's the 14th, ah, drink another beer. First of all, shut up, I'll drink what I want. Second of all, the tampering period means that, well, when you look at it on paper and you go, well, they got signed on the 14th, deals start getting done probably as far back as the 10th, if we're being honest. Because, Chris, there's no honor among thieves. Those agents, tampering happens all the time. The league just wanted a way to capitalize and condense it and make it an event. And they did a good job of it. I give them credit for that. If you guys enjoy listening to us drink and spew our football knowledge here on the Rockpile Report, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the listening platforms. The best part is you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to Drew spout off on the Buffalo Bills, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in the episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. But the Bills didn't sign Obata until the 24th. Now, I'm not sure. There's plenty of reasons that it didn't happen faster. I mean, maybe Obata wanted to hold out for other offers and better offers, a team that didn't have people entrenched ahead of him on the depth chart, or someone who was just going to pay him more money. Maybe the Bills just didn't have a ton of urgency. Whatever the reason, it took them almost two full weeks to decide to offer him just $1.5 million. That makes me think that for as much physical upside as he might have, the team wasn't going to splurge to acquire that guy. If he didn't take that deal, he wouldn't be here. I mean, we've talked about that. Brandon Bean, he has a number. You meet his number or he just walks. That's how he, he's a contractual gangster. That's how he negotiates. And then in terms of his physical abilities, he's got a great profile, big, sturdy defensive end who can control offensive tackles in the run and at the point of attack, and who's unblockable by tight ends when left on an island who, when you move him inside, uses this size and length to create pressure and chaos behind the line of scrimmage. But the Bills just invested a top 30 pick in a player with the exact same athletic profile, with the exact same game, just a month after they drafted Obata, or that they signed Obata. It's clear that they want what he brings to this table schematically. And yet you can't argue they'd probably side with a version of that with a potentially higher ceiling. And unfortunately for Obata, the Bills found that in Greg Rousseau. So in that way, his skill set becomes a little bit redundant. Now, that might not be a bad thing. I mean, if exotic pass rush looks are something that they want, and true to McDermott's form, they do make Rousseau earn his stripes before giving him a ton of snaps, Obata could represent a solid insurance policy that they can schematically do some of these new things they want to do to augment our lacking pass rush without having to say... Hey, these new wrinkles we threw in are completely contingent on this rookie acclimating to NFL football. Because you and I have seen decades worth of Bill's rookie struggle. Yeah, and awful picks. Yeah. Just straight out awful picks. So it's, it stands to reason that you probably, if, if you're desperate for an up, upgrade on the defensive line and you want to play a different style of defensive line, which it seems with all these acquisitions that they've made that they do. Maybe keeping Obata around isn't such a bad idea. I'd like to think that Obata has a shot at a roster spot. If and only if limiting rookie participation is truly in the Bills game plan, and they decide to carry five defensive ends to allow for that, and he can illustrate that as a guy just learning American football, he's only scratching the surface of his potential and that there's more there while still being effective for us in the present. Or at least as equally effective as one of the elder statesmen that we're about to talk about. But at least there is a road for him, right? Yes. Better than the other two. More so than the other guys who make up the depth chart. And that certainly beats a sharp stick in the eye. So now if you're following us along now through this conversation... 
that makes the crux of this position battle essentially a two-horse race. And that's where it gets interesting for me. Because this is the main event, folks, of the defensive end room. This here is going to be, aside from how our rookies look, where everybody's eyes should probably be fixed when camp kicks off. I'm calling it Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes against the world. Right? Mario and Jerry versus everybody. Remember when I used the phrase nightmarish mix of old and expensive? These guys playing together at defensive end were the embodiment of that sentiment in 2020. And at 33 years old and counting, and each of them counting 8 million or more against our salary cap for 2021, you could look at them collectively and say that if they were still truly effective enough to be looked at as starting NFL defensive ends, this youth movement at the defensive end position wouldn't be taking place. Chris, if, if Mario Addison comes in and has eight sacks, let's say he backslides a little bit, but he has eight sacks and he shows that he's more, more impactful. Jerry Hughes has those game-changing plays of his, but he tacks on an extra sack or two, and he just looks a little bit more impressive behind the line of scrimmage. Do you think the Bills go out and leverage their two, their two best draft picks this offseason and some free agent capital and a spot on the 90-man roster trying to churn the defensive end room? No, I mean, well, we got to get younger at that position. I mean, they're regardless, they're getting old. But, you know, like I said, it's we're in this weird spot where we're real old and real young and really nothing in between that's, you know, at a good price and productive. I just find it hilarious. I'm holding, I, I have two beers. I don't know how this you happened. You a 42 North and a Molson. I don't know how this happened, but I ended up with two beers. <laughs> that's how into this conversation I am. But so with that in mind, in a season where you think your team might contend for the Lombardi Trophy, well, also prepping this one specific position group for the future, you need to have at least one older veteran player that they can rely on while that learning is taking place. And so in that way, in my mind, it's these two NFL Methuselahs going kind of up against everybody else in what might be the most compelling defensive battle outside of CB2. Jerry Hughes. The pros, he's the most durable and reliable player on the Bills' defense and has been for years. I mean, early penalties and undisciplined play aside, can anybody out there say that they don't like Jerry Hughes? Would you be upset if Jerry Hughes is on the 2021 roster? I need him here. Okay. His numbers are still that of a legitimate defensive end in the NFL. Need need him to cut down them. 15-yard penalties. Well, and I think he has. Yeah. I think he still gets a bad rap for the, the just the misadventures of his youth. But you look at it, he hasn't had those penalties in years. Second highest edge defender and pass rush win rate behind T.J. Watt. That's right. It's T.J. Watt and Jerry Hughes at beating offensive tackles. Uh, four and a half sacks. He had more pressures in 2020 than he posted in, to, uh, than he posted in 2019. Which I think illustrates that he can still compete in that regard. He hasn't dipped. And as we said at the top of the show, there hasn't been a... He hasn't had a premier defensive end type season since the days of the Doug Marone cold front defensive line. He's been a defensive end one by virtue that we just haven't had one worth a damn since early in his contract Mario Williams. And before that, it was Aaron Schobel back in the early 2000s. That's it. Those are the only defensive ends we've had that were better than what Jerry Hughes has brought to us. Now, 
Kelvin Shepard for Jerry Hughes. Yeah, that's that's what we like to call the Grigson. <laughs> yeah. The Grigson move. Oh, that GM. You just say, if you just say that. his GM was garbage, that man not only gave us Jerry Hughes for, for essentially free, he also ruined the career of Andrew Luck. He robbed us all of Andrew Luck. If you just say that sentence, Jerry Hughes for Kelvin Shepard, you just immediately feel better about yourself. <laughs> you feel better about your franchise. You're like, yeah, ah, we got jump ball by DeAndre Hopkins. Jerry Hughes for Kelvin Shepard, though. <laughs> and you smile. You can't help it. It's involuntary. It's like my son, when I burp, he just breaks out into smile. It doesn't matter. He could be in the middle of crying. If I belch, he finds it hysterical. And I try to explain it to my wife. Honey, we're men. Flatulence is funny. And it always will be. <laughs> but I digress. The thing that I think I like about him the most, especially for this roster, is that he plays tough. And remember all that durability that we talked about? Consider that he's undergone a significant surgery. Wrist, ankle, etc., after every single season ends. And then think about, well, he plays through these medical issues, he refuses to let that hinder him. And he's still proven to be effective late in games, whether it's stripping Drew Locke for a score, taking the ball from Sam Darnold to beat them in what was a field goal festival. Our offense couldn't get in the end zone, but it didn't matter because we had a defense that was opportunistic and a kicker who just was having a day. And in my eyes, it doesn't hurt his stock that he's also not afraid to threaten a ref with physical violence after a game when the ref talks a little bit of trash to him. Now, Chris, let's not... NFL officials still talk about that. Maybe it's in, just briefly before the game. Maybe it's in hushed tones. But nobody in that profession has forgotten the time Jerry Hughes was caught on tape threatening their safety. And then... I think what was my favorite part of the entire incident goes up to the podium and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. What? It's the O.J. Simpson defense. I don't, me? I didn't do that. Who, me? Who, me? What? No, I didn't do that. I was somewhere else entirely. <laughs> it's like, Jerry, we have the tape. I, I, I don't know. If the glove don't fit, I mean, you got to get me out of this press conference. <sighs> <sighs> I just think that in terms of Bill's role model, for all these young players, you'd be hard-pressed to find a player quite like Jerry Hughes for all of them to learn just how to be a professional at this level, how to take care of your body, how to prepare, how to play through your issues, how to approach adversity. I think Jerry Hughes is the poster child for being able to pick up a young player and pass on some of that wisdom. But when you look at the downside to him at 33 years old, Jerry's reaching the end of his career. There's, there's, there's little doubt about that. And it comes at a time when there's a legitimate youth movement. You always want to move on early rather than late from a player. And last season, Jerry Hughes managed just 11 total quarterback hits and four tackles for a loss, which are both career lows. Hughes also has a cap savings of $6.1 million tied to him. Now, the Bills aren't cash poor. We've got $9.2 million in cap space as of today. But a release could free up all kinds of possibilities from signing an impact defensive back or maybe just rolling the savings forward a year to when fat checks for quarterback player are going to have to start being written. I mean, I, I got a text the other night from a guy I haven't spoken to in years, legitimately years, who I went to high school with, asking me what I thought about speculation that Jerry Hughes is on the trade block. And I had to explain to him that NFL GMs would be absolutely wise to reach out to the Buffalo Bills about him. He's clearly got something left in the bank, albeit not as a number one defensive end. 
But as part of a rotation where he's not being used on an every down basis, but more of like a pass rush specialist, he could absolutely thrive. I mean, for the sake of argument, and something I want you all to think about between now and the end of this podcast, why wouldn't we want him doing that here in Buffalo? <laughs> why wouldn't we want that? And there's Mario Addison. Mario Addison has a lot of upside, too. I mean, prior to coming to Buffalo, was still pass rushing at a high level. And he could indeed, if the defensive tackle and the interior pass rush gets better, he could return to form. After tweaking his contract, his salary for 2021 is almost completely guaranteed. I mean, the Bills only net hundred and twenty grand if they release him. He started the season hot for Buffalo, and this is why I don't like this concept where people go, well, you know, he... He, maybe he just needed to act because there's some people out there. I know this is going to sound crazy to the more educated of you, but there's some WGR caller types out there who I hear this trope from about Mario Addison specifically who say, you know, well, the, the, the scheme acclimation and you know, now that he's got a, another year in the system, maybe he'll. That has nothing to do with it. He started out with two straight sacks and he had sacks throughout the season. In fact, one of the weird things about him is that his sacks came against playoff football teams. He had a sack against Kansas City. He has a sack against Seattle. He goes on to get quarterback pressures in multiple games against highly competitive teams. He just wasn't bringing it the same way he was before in his career, which scares the hell out of me. Like, I don't know if you can fix that, Chris. Some guys just get old. And you see the production drop off. We've watched it happen here to, 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 you, to bring you back into this conversation. And some of our other listeners who here locally know hockey. Guys like Jochen Hesch. Jochen Hesch was a Sabres player who had some really phenomenal seasons and then got old fast. And he went from a 15 to 20 goal scorer a year to I think he had back-to-back seasons without a single goal. Something like that. I remember... His fall was pretty precipitous. And the problem is the Sabres signed him too long of a contract and couldn't move on. They did that with um, Drew Stafford. He had 30 goals in a contract year and then never came close to that. I don't even know if he broke 20 again. But so this is the thing. When When you see these warning signs... Sometimes you move on just, again, he represents an opportunity cost. Even if you don't save any money by moving on from him, there's an opportunity cost of having a Mario Addison on the roster at the expense of a younger player, an FAO Bata type, right? Who you don't know if he's just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. Mario Addison, to his credit, made a lot of solid plays that don't show up in the box score. I mean, if you don't believe me, Google Mario Addison All-22, and you're going to see that Buffalo Rumblings Scarecrow, which is an odd name for a beat writer, but me calling anybody else weird is pretty ironic. But he has a collection of plays broken down, illustrating the highs and lows of Addison at this point in his career. He kind of made it in the aftermath of the 2020 season. (laughs) He does well. I mean, he creates pressure that forces, forces negative plays, And while he's not the most impactful, he's not an out-and-out liability. He doesn't make as many splash plays as he did prior in his career. But much like Hughes can win more than he loses and at least be occasionally disruptive enough to warrant some applause. And as far as downside really goes, I could almost parrot all of the cons, if we're doing this pros and cons style, that I had for Jerry Hughes. Statistically, Addison regressed across the board, seeing a 50% drop in his pressures and quarterback hits while maintaining his solo tackle numbers and making himself available for every contest. He's here, he's durable, he's got, he's got some gas left in the tank, but what's that worth to you? 
The reality is that both Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes, they're not in competition with each other because they're incredibly similar players at this point in their career. Highly thought of veterans, leaders of the team on the field by example, and also they bring some gravitas to the locker room. They're not premier talents, but they're consistently giving you enough that you'd think they belong on an NFL roster. They have skill sets that allow them to be solid tacklers in the open field. They can drop back and cover and also play at the line of scrimmage and win inconsistently, but win against average tackle play. Good offensive tackles are going to give them trouble, but against average to slightly above average tackles like Addison's game against Trent Williams, for instance, which in that Buffalo Rumblings piece I was talking about, you're going to see some of his reps highlighted there against Trent Williams, who is a very good offensive tackle. They'll hold their own even if they can't set the world on fire. They're durable beyond explanation considering their age. But they're also poor values if you're just measuring them from a standpoint of money and cap spent versus box score results. In truth, unlike a lot of the other position groups where the players we've discussed are going legitimately head-to-head, like Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, these two are fighting perception and fighting the rest of the depth chart in an attempt to illustrate that despite their advanced age, which sounds really, really pathetic when you think about the fact that I am three to four years older than them. Chris, you're old as hell compared to Mario Addison. And here I am calling him washed. Yeah, I'm getting old. That I'm make, getting old on Sunday. That makes us crap. That makes us crap. <laughs> they still have the chops. It's up to them to illustrate that they still have the chops to outshine younger and hungry players. Jerry and Mario versus the world. I mean, if we were making a movie, it's like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, what other buddy like cop films can we compare this to? Um, kindergarten Cop. Wait, then one of them has to play the, the chick? Yeah. Okay, well, what was her? Uh, it was O-something, because she's Irish and she's a redhead. Yeah. I just O'Hara? I think, yeah. I think it's O'Hara's the sidekick? Yeah. Or you can just be an asshole like Crisp. Are you eating other people's lunches? Stop it. This is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. I remember as a child just laughing as that poor fat kid just spit chips out on his feet. What was that other movie with Schwarzenegger and DeVito Jr.? <laughs> that's another. I don't think that this. That's a buddy buddy movie. I don't think that this. Except somebody qualifies. gets pregnant. I don't think that this qualifies. Uh, what it is is it's age versus youth, and the old guys are going to be given a stiff run for their money. Now, when it comes to our picks, this one's hard because while we've been giving our picks to win jobs at various positions, I think this one feels different. I mean, there's no arguing that a five-man defensive end room featuring both Jerry Hughes and Mario Edison, along with the young pieces that we've added over the last two off-seasons, is probably the best collection of proven talent we could field in 2021. Is there any arguing with that? No, I have no no idea what's happening Okay, when it comes down to... Who is on the 53 out of these guys? And what happens with them is also going to give us more insight as to how Brandon Bean is wired. To date, he hasn't really had to make a lot of tough decisions on cutdown day. At least not to this degree. We know that he's shrewd financially and certainly isn't afraid to plan for the future while also trying to win now in the moment. So when you see that $6.1 million in cap space tied to Jerry Hughes, the question is, can he show well enough in training camp that, or And can he make himself so highly thought of that the team says, you know what, even if we're losing an opera, even if there's opportunity costs tied with, hey, we could get draft picks and cap space to do other things with if we get rid of Jerry Hughes. Or 
in the event of Mar- the case of Mario Edison, we have a Jerry Hughes who's performing very well that we can't part with. He is the elder statesman in our room. We've got this guy who we don't net a ton of draft. He, he's already voided the final year of his deal. So if we cut him, we're done with him. And we, we don't get a ton of cap savings this year, but we save a roster spot for a young guy who's just hungrier and has more future upside than any. And we want to see more of that. I, the decision that gets made with these two players is going to illustrate how tolerant of admittedly subpar return on investment and how willing to turn down that future opportunity cost Brandon Bean really is. And in that way, this whole battle is up to Houston and Addison, proving to the staff and to our front office that despite having monetary values aside to them that it's going to be difficult for either one of them to live up to, that they're better having on this roster than off of it compared to the young, hungry players that are behind them. Now, I, for one, I'm pulling for Jerry Hughes. I, I like the idea of F.A. Obata, but I've got a Greg Rousseau who I think can grow into that role, right? Man has better upside. Mario Addison, he's a proven veteran. Even if he's not great, I like what he's going to bring to the table. And I'm pulling for Jerry Hughes because this is a guy who's been through all the same bullshit that we have for the last the last decade. He's suffered with us. He's put his balls on the line every single season, played his ass off, usually for nothing. Usually to only have it end in disappointment. Right? And during that time, he's been one of our most committed and one of our most consistent players. And now that we're potentially on the doorstep of something great, I think he, more than most players to have put our jersey on over the last few years, deserves to be here and be a part of it. What do you think about that? Am I just being too emotionally attached to this guy? I mean, yeah, but I don't see any way that Hughes is off this roster. I think Uh, There's plenty of way. That's the problem with this. No, I I think he's... I don't think that... You're making it seem to be like it's going to be a shady McCoy thing where we just, like, cut him during the training camp or end of training camp in preseason. Well, no, but the... Or get rid of him via trade. Like, he leaves the roster one way or another. But the team is incentivized to do so. Because he still has value and you save a bunch of cap space. I I I know, Chris. I don't think he's leaving the team. So, that's it. Do we think Jerry Hughes and Mario Edison can both stave off the rest of this field and the team's appetite for, for this opportunity cost, this cap space, this extra, dra- extra draft capital, yeah. and make it to the final roster? Yeah, I think so. I'm not even willing to commit to it because I'm, I'm that nervous but excited to watch this competition take place. I can't wait, and I appreciate everybody who showed up for every single one of these shows I can't believe they've been as popular as they are. I expected you all to check out after the first one when you heard uh, our ramblings about Dane Jackson. and uh, I'm here all the time, but I check out early because I have to look at your face. <laughs> but I just want to say thank you to everybody who showed up. I can't wait for camp to get underway because we have a lot of unique content. We have some great stuff in the pipe. It's We've confirmed we'll be doing a live show. I know we've seen people on Twitter and social media have reached out to us about, uh, oh, hey, if you guys are going out drinking or you're doing anything, we're going to be doing a live podcast at O'Neill Stadium Inn across the street from One Bill's Drive, right there in the in the stadium, in the shadow of Ralph Wilson Stadium, with Buffalo Rumblings Joe Miller and the newly returned to Buffalo Pat Moran. 
It's going to be a great time. It's going to be the first of our happy hour series, which I hope to continue rolling throughout the month of August. I'm just excited, and I'm happy that you guys showed up. Why don't you let us hear it uh, at Rock Power Report on Twitter, rockpowerreport716 at gmail.com. How many of you genuinely believe that Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes can both make it to this final 53? I'm interested to get your thoughts. Chris, I can keep yelling at you. I can keep talking about these two guys, but it's late and we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Power Report.